And my passion is to rid this great nation of America of soccer. Soccer here in the U.S. is due in part to the influx of immigrants saying, quote, I promise you, no American whose great-grandfather was born here is watching soccer. This is a waste of our time, energy, and resources. Long little chief, niggas fighting over rang, niggas won't be the game, but long little chief, yeah, watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little chief, uh, cockroaches in the racks, uh, hand me downs with the patches, mama put a little money in the match, tell me how to make a silver spoon out of plastic, I will not rest. Until I see nothing but baseball, football, basketball, and Now they say you're better while you're dressing so classy. I don't want my best dressed day in a casket. You can either leave or follow. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Gabe Bluffitz. Let's Fix Football. We're back. Season 2. Actual season 2. And guess what? We've got a new co-host. Uh, it's me, Gabe, and uh, Evan Matier. And also joining us for their, like, I don't know, fifth time, but now first time as co-host. James Rushton, what's up, man? I'm just delighted to be here. I'm full-time signing. That's like a privilege. Yeah, it was a big. It's a big, you know, coup that we got. Um, all the way from, uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 signing was pretty good. I think that we got a good value, decent value. But uh, hoping you're going to make an immediate impact on the team. And thanks for doing this first press conference with us. Oh my god, this bit, this bit's terrible. You fucking shut the hell up. <laughs> Is this the part? Can I, can I say that I'm not paid or anything? Is that like I have no, I have no contract? <laughs> that's that that's right that's true we have no contract we don't pay our we don't pay our stuff i'm not paid goddamn like <laughs> we, we don't pay any of this shit we would like to get paid we're yeah we, 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 we'd love to get paid we, we would sell out in a second in a second instantly as we've said many times before uh so let's talk i think the big like the thing we have to talk about this week and the thing that we're gonna be talking about during this kind of down season which is a funny as hell time to restart this show because like actually there's nothing going on in europe uh the women's world cup just ended um the united states won again but i wanted to talk about so for this show like a lot of what we're gonna do is make jokes about how bad (laughs) people's uh discussion of this particular tournament was but let's take let's do some serious stuff at the beginning I don't, it felt like in the United States, at least, that this was kind of a sea change moment around the world uh, for this for the women's game. Um, I mean, basically, we've seen these numbers. It's like a billion people watched overall. We had, uh, I mean, some of the kind of traditional footballing powerhouse countries got really into it. Brazil and uh, Italy were both very much apparently breathing it. Uh, and James, I was wondering like what your experience was with like how it was covered in England. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of people kind of just got behind the, the England women's team, the lionesses kind of on mass, um, personally how it was covered uh bbc had a lot of games on show that people are you know people watching them on the train and stuff like the the men's world cup like the cricket world cup like all those events people get involved with over here so it was kind of a similar status but one thing i noticed was in my workplace like we would have time off for the england games we didn't have that <laughs> we didn't have that this time. so yeah we did we, we didn't have it for the women's world cup though we have it for the england men's matches if they clash with mm. work time 
but there wasn't any kind of discussion about the women's world cup in the workplace. So it still hasn't kind of, I guess it has crossed that cultural gap, right? But no one is, uh, is bringing it into that, uh, our lives, like the, the, yeah. the men's team dominates, you know, you have footballs coming home. And I guess as we got more successful in the tournament before we was unfortunately knocked out by the United States, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a, that was a palaver to say the least. Uh, that, that did not go down well. <laughs> that didn't go down well, especially Alex Morgan. Couldn't say a good word about her. I said I liked her. I said I liked her. Had to delete my entire Twitter feed. <laughs> I had to remove every single tweet because it attracted a lot of ne- negative attention. But, uh, it, you know, it's getting there. I mean, there's a lot of support now for women's teams. Aston Villa, the team I support, have renamed their former ladies side as Aston Villa women and they look to be taking it more serious as these female athletes compete. It's not like the ladies, you know, the way it's branded is completely different, the support it's getting and I think that is due in part to the success of the Women's World Cup. Yeah, Women's World Cup and of the very, and like I said at the beginning, it felt like the kind of, these, these, places and, and countries that had never taken this game seriously and had never even spent even a cent and are incredibly sexist, never spent a cent to develop these teams, finally spent a little bit of money and the, the results were huge. I mean, just in particular, I was impressed by Italy, which was a team I never thought, and I mean, frankly, Spain, but was a team I never thought was going to be like, they're, they're incredibly sexist federation, terrible federation, and yet their team came out and they played really well. And then apparently a lot of people were watching the – I mean, the Italy-Brazil match was one of the most watched games uh, uh, of the year, including like the club stuff. So it's it's it felt to me like some of these federations saw that even a marginal investment in this could pay off in a huge way. And that is really all you need to uh, to get like – this support and to change the kind of culture around this game. Because if you can see that, Oh, all we need to do is spend a little bit of money and, and then we get this huge return. You could actually see the entire level of the game increase. I think that yeah. they're, they're like, I think that maybe finally the European federations are going to be shamed into actually spending even a tiny bit of money to, to show up and perform. Like they, I mean, they're just going to at some point be be done with the U.S. wiping the floor with them every you know every four years, and it, it just doesn't cost that much money to to put on a respectable performance. It's not that much effort, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, for for me in the states, I mean, what I noticed was that people were watching games, and it wasn't just like oh the knockout rounds. It's like people were, I mean, like people in my office tuned in to watch like. Uh, you know, South Korea play, you know, wh- whoever, right? Like they p- putting it, they had these bar- like, like Sweden or whatever. And like, they was putting it on in bars and stuff. And like, th- these weren't just you, the U S games. This was like, these, like, these are the games that I wouldn't, I mean, I would watch in the in men's world cup, but like, I would like, if it was a game at eight in the morning, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to wake up to watch this game. And, and they were still waking up to watch the games that I never, I mean, like that, 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 <laughs> they're really, I mean, frankly, kind of meaningless, right? In these group stages, but they were watching them and they were into it. And that to me, I thought was a noted difference between this world cup and the last women's world cup in, in Canada. 
Yeah, I mean, I had this. I had more or less the same experience with with people paying more attention. I think that you know there were two two different things going on. I think one casual fans got into the you know the U.S. team and they were really into the U.S. team games, and then some of the like bigger marquee uh, games. But I think that there was even a, even a huge growth in kind of the soccer world. Um, you know, the American yeah. soccer fan world were paying a lot more attention. Like you say, that the type of games that only like really committed soccer fans watch uh during the men's world cup you know you know a group stage match between second day you know second tier countries you know people were into those games too um which was good uh, i think that you know my, my real question with respect to how much impact like I'm, I'm after you know growing up my entire life hearing after every world cup like what impact the men's world cup is going to have on like uh soccer in the u.s i've grown pretty skeptical of like how much impact any one big event that lots of people watch will have outside of that one event. Yeah. Um, like I think the U I think that, you, you know, the women's world cup might develop into something that is very popular as a quadrennial event, you know, sort of like the Olympics where you pay attention to it when it comes around, but I don't, you know, I, I don't know it like one for one that interest translates to like interest in women's soccer more, more generally, or at least it's a hard, like it's, it's harder to transform that interest into the, the interim. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, but we did see, I mean, the reason I think this might be different and you're right. We've been hearing forever, especially in this country. Oh, well this, everyone watched like so many people will watch in the world cup. That means it's going to transform, you know, soccer interest in this country. And to an extent it, it, it actually has, but um, but incrementally, I think with the, incrementally, I yeah. think is, is the takeaway. Um, you know, that happened over 20 years over the course of many, you know, four, four or five World Cups. That being said, there is evidence outside of just like watching people, like the way people uh, kind of dealt with this and like watched it and, and experienced it. There is. So I thought there was definitely some evidence that that, you know, this might be different, including the fact that, for example, numerous leagues, uh, club leagues announced big new partnerships, big new sponsorships. Like for example, the, um, women's league in England got a big sponsorship partnership with, uh, uh, visa, I think, uh, for example, and just a bunch of more money and they're going to air more games. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we would expect to see when people are taking it seriously. The American, the National Women's Soccer League, uh, and, and th- I pretty much know this all, all from Kim McCauley's coverage, which has been fantastic. They suck, and they did basically nothing to capitalize or very little to capitalize on the interest that um, the the women's national team was getting. And beyond you know not advertising well, they also are you know directly you know, the U.S. Federation is directly sinking the league by. Uh, having this like victory tour that conflicts with a whole bunch of NWSL games. So that's a big clusterfuck. Yeah, that is a huge clusterfuck. James, I don't know if you know this, but hilariously, the um, season in this country is, uh, <laughs> is basically in the summer. So it's like spring through or like late fall. And so uh, all of the American players and all, like a lot of the players on a lot of the other teams also all of them had to leave their club sides <laughs> to play the like, World Cup. Like Sam Kerr, uh, she plays in the States, doesn't, does she? 
Yeah. Yeah. She actually so. called up for the Australian national team and she's like really good. Like half the league, yeah. like half the league are basically the all of the teams like almost every good player plays in the in the US league. And so like teams that were usually bad because they don't have star players that are good enough to play at the World Cup were like doing better during the World Cup because they didn't have half their team up and leave for two months. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, "Oh, we went on this like this like shitty team." It's like, "Oh, we went on a five game winning streak." Like, yeah, because like every other team had their players poached for the World Cup. Like, you you went on a, a winning streak because you had no one go to the World Cup. <laughs> and this is what 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 interests me about this is like that is sort of what the next men's World Cup is going to be like. I mean, assuming that. Right. Assuming that FIFA doesn't or UEFA and, and whoever doesn't just like pause all the games. Right. Because they I mean, that's my understanding is the next World Cup in in uh, uh, in Qatar is going to be uh, during the during the, the, the late fall, like early I mean, like winter it's, it's be in December, I think it is. Which is like a huge time for clubs, <laughs> the European clubs, like imagine a situation where like, you know, uh, Manchester City and, and like suddenly doesn't have any of its players and like uh, some team that like kept all of its players like I don't know Arsenal <laughs> or I don't know whoever like it's like oh shit they're suddenly at the top of the table because like Manchester City is like running their their out there C team <laughs> every game it'd be a massacre absolute massacre <laughs> it's so funny i mean it could lead to hilarious outcomes also though i mean if they did keep it going it's like real madrid and barcelona suddenly are fighting to see who is going to actually make the champions league and which one of them is going to be in the europa league because their entire teams are playing at the world cup <laughs> i mean like it could be funny <laughs> i think the other big story to come out of and this like will lead us into my favorite thing that we're going to talk about but the other thing that came out of this tournament is the um hilarious and incredibly annoying uh var issue and basically in my view especially in the early rounds the the way the role that var played was very annoying and especially with respect to penalties so i think the best way to describe it is that suddenly uh fifa decided that they were going to start enforcing the rule that goalkeepers can't come off their line um, really intensely. And no one in, in any part of this sport had ever had that rule enforced really intensely. And so it, what it created was a situation where goalkeepers were stopping penalties because they were badly taking penalties and they, you know, did what normal goalkeepers do and jump off their line slightly and then dive and then the penalties were then the players were allowed to retake the penalties and would score them. And so it was this huge emotional swing between having your your team save a penalty, you have this huge, you know, push and and a, this this huge impact when your team saves a penalty to a situation where the guy gets to retake it and you don't miss a penalty twice. Like who does that? So that I think was my big takeaway from the from the VAR issue. I don't know I don't know what you guys thought about it. My my feeling was that FIFA was sort of using this as a um, as a laboratory to see what would happen if they tried to use VAR to enforce kind of lower level rules or rules that are sort of like taken for granted. That yeah, okay, technically the the keeper really isn't supposed to jump off the line early, but like we all let it happen. It's dumb. I don't know. 
it's dumb. It's like the handball one gets me because now you have a bet. You know, you're not going to strike for goal. It's better to aim for someone's upper body because you'll get handball. VAR will come back in and say it's handball. And it's, you know, it's just, it's really hard to explain. It's like the VAR doesn't gel with these lower level rules. It it really doesn't. And it, it highlights some of the, the biases in the game state, like offside, it gets called no matter what, but sometimes it's getting called when a player is retreating backwards, when their toe is over the line. And I feel like it's these rules should benefit the attacker, but the goalkeeper one, like they're in a weak position because they have to face a shot from, you know, a real close range. It's on the penalty spot. It's a penalty. And they're not allowed any benefit at all. They have to simply take the shot and there's no movement allowed, nothing. And it comes in and it, if, they, if there's any mistake unrelated to it, it's called back. So it's it's really tough. I mean, yeah. uh, there's no fixing it really, is there? I mean, the, the, really, the, like, the really unfair thing was that they actually changed the rule right before the tournament anyway. So not only did they announce like, hey, we're going to use VAR to enforce this. They also changed the rule from what it had been, which mm-hmm. technically was two feet on the line, even though no one did it, to now one foot on the line. So they created a completely new rule, probably because they understood that what they were trying to do was going to put goalies at a disadvantage. They tried to like change the rule to be slightly more beneficial to them. But the reality is that creating a new rule, this kind of one foot thing that no goalkeeper has ever dealt with combined with an enforcement that no goalkeeper has ever dealt with made it basically impossible for goalkeepers to just change on the spot, how they defend a penalty. You know, you can't expect athletes to have been doing things one way forever. You automatically be able to change in the biggest game, you know, they're just going to go to muscle memory and they're going to try to defend a penalty how they always have, which is like yeah. that hop up like off the line and then a dive. And I, I mean, I want to go back to what James, you, you mentioned like these, the problem I think with VAR, I've always been a big supporter of VAR. I actually think it's really useful to, to have in the big moments. Like we don't want to have a game decided by a, a goal that was, not a goal because it was scored off sides or any of those things. Those are the right places that we need this rule. But like it does, you're right. It encourages pl- people like, and, and Evan, I think particularly knows exactly what this is, <laughs> like what the negative consequences of this are, but like encourages people to sh- like take, if you're in the penalty area to smack the ball as high, hard as you can towards the defender's upper body, because if they're in any way moving their arms, right the VAR is going to call out a penalty and they're going to go back and say, yeah, that's a penalty. But in reality, and like in previous eras, th- that type of thing would never have been called. And, you know, we would, you would fight over whether that's a penalty or not, but ultimately the game would go on. It would be fine. Like the, like my feeling is that VAR should be used basically only in, in situations and in circumstances where, you know, Everyone knows exactly what the problem was. There was an obvious error, and that's the only time it should come in. And if there's anything that's even questionable, if you have to look at something for more than like two seconds and you need to slow it down to a billionth of a second to replay it, then VAR shouldn't come into picture at all. Well, these things look worse in slow motion as well, right? That's a really good point. I mean, like the and then the Champions League final, like we were taught, this is exactly what sort of what I'm talking about, right? Like the, uh, the handball call in the Champions League final, like yes, that. yeah, I mean, Musa Sissoko. So he's so Musa Sissoko is like the poster child for this because he's po- he's just pointing, right? He's pointing to try to marshal the defense, um, like two minutes into the game, and like it's 
I mean, I guess you can't be a hundred percent sure. I can't remember who who actually put the put the ball in and hit his hand. You can't be a hundred percent sure whether they were putting a cross in or, but it sure looked like he was just chipping it at, at up towards um, Suzuka's arm, and he caught it and he got the penalty, and you know, the rest is history. And and I think that you know that's a, it's a really good ex- a really good point that they also look like even that looks worse in slow motion because you 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 know you look at it in slow motion, and, oh, his arms moving away from his body and. Yeah, it's because he's pointing, but that's like one of the factors in deciding whether or not it's intentional or not. Um, you know, just just you're running down the checklist, it all looks worse when you get to slow it down to you know one frame, yeah. you know, a second, and and go through frame by frame, um, as opposed to in real time getting a sense of you know what was the player doing in context, and you know, in that yeah. context, did you think in real time that it was an intentional handball? Yeah, and I mean, frankly. This shit is exactly what annoys me most is like this shit gives so much uh, ammunition to the to the VAR haters. And like we saw so many like deadspin articles like, you know, VAR is ruining the sport. Like this is making it, you know, so that we can't celebrate blah, blah, blah. It's like I hate I hate that take. I think it's wrong. But it's also like if they're going to use it to enforce like that, like to slow things down and make make, you know, frame by frame check on a, on, on, on a handball or like did the, the keeper's second foot leave the line, like a fraction of a second too early. Yeah. It actually is making the game worse, not better. Like it's, it would be better if it was just very clear. And we had like someone who looked at things and interpreted them. And if they immediately saw a problem, then sure you call it, but if not, then just leave it be. And I think it's a problem with the, uh, I mean, my my interpretation is that it's a problem with the uh, um, clear and obvious standard, and that's the issue. That it's not that they're not interpreting a clear and obvious standard. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think on on your first point, I think that there there are VAR problems, and then there are rules problems. And so certain certain problems are intrinsic to using any kind of replay, and it's the stuff you talked about, like you know that it slows down the game, that it takes away from the moment when someone scores, that you know there's a delayed you know, delay in finding out whether it's going to stand or not. So there's delayed gratification. Like these are problems just with replay generally. A lot of the problems we're talking about are rules problems. They're either like the handball is a good example where part of the problem is no one really knows what a handball is. Um, Like it's pretty hard to explain to a new fan what is a handball and what's not a handball. And, you know, it's not any easier really for an official to, to make that determination. Um, so that's a rules problem. And then, you know, what you're talking about, the standard of review, that's also a rules problem. That's, you know, what what level of wrongness are we looking for before we'll overturn a call? Um, the good thing is that, you know, the rules problems are probably easier to fix if you've accept, accepted that VAR is the way to go forward. Um, but, you know, how much you know, how much appetite is there for clarifying rules that have just existed as you know, uh, kind of a common understanding, for example, common understanding, a vague understanding of what a handball is for, you know, generations of soccer fans, you know, you know, how are we going to decide how to make that concrete enough? Or can we decide to make that concrete enough in order to make VAR work in a way where we don't constantly feel like it's creating injustices in the game, which I think is the, that's the big reaction, right? With, with all of these things, you know, we're watching soccer fans, I think have a greater, uh, sense of like justice within the game of like what, what, you know, 
what's fair and what mm-hmm. a team deserves than like any other sport. And you hear it all the time. Like they deserved more from that game or, you know, that was a really harsh penalty and, you know, it kind of means it was tough against them. And I think VAR is upsetting a lot of those senses that soccer fans have about what is just and what's unjust in the game. Um, you know, a, a toe over the line to be off sides when you weren't even really impacting the play, but it gets called and then it overturns a goal. And like that upsets the sense of justice that, soccer fans have watching the game yeah. and it's really hard to know exactly how to fix that. I don't know, James, what, what do you think? Because I, I, I tend to agree with that generally, but I also think that like the VAR was in, implemented to create what I think, or to solve the problem uh, that you're kind of mentioning, Evan, that there was like, there are moments of injustice in, in sport and you're trying to introduce this so that you don't have those, situations like i don't know like the i remember very vividly the spain um i think it was 2006 world or to no, 2002 world cup where spain was playing korea and they got two goals called back for offsides um spain did that were just clearly not offsides and in a world with var like that injustice basically doesn't doesn't stand and i'm fine with correcting those types of injustices the problem is that var is also creating new and <laughs> different types of feelings of injustice I think it should probably be actioned if there's a definite feel of injustice. I mean, that's hard to hard to say because when we come home from games and we see like a millimeter offside and we've lost one nil because of that, and that hasn't been called back, we do feel a sense of injustice. But I don't know. It feels like really hobbyist nitpicking, which is what VAR descends into sometimes. And to the way I feel now is VAR, VAR. I feel it was a good thing. I've, it's something I've always wanted. And now you're these, these situations that occur push you so far to the other side of the argument where you're almost wanting to just rip up the rule book and go to, you know, Calcio Fiorentina where they just kick the shit out of each other. <laughs> and you feel like injustices will be better solved by them elbowing each other in the head and just a referee steps in if someone's going to die or something. <laughs> you just like fight it out on the pitch. Like that's the best way to deal with it. <laughs> I, no, I, I genuinely am struggling with uh, VAR because I want it to be so good, but it feels so far away from what the sport was like less than two years ago. Yeah. And, like the contrast is goal line technology is so good and works so well and is so automatic and has really eliminated a particular form of injustice, which is, you know, not getting a goal called when it went across the line or vice versa. Um, that I think that that, you know, the success of goal line technology makes the problems with VAR all the more poignant uh, because we all want the solutions to work like that. And it's just more complicated with things like, you know, things like offsides or things like the handball for different reasons are more complicated to solve with technology than it turns out, you know, the goal line was. Well, yeah, goal, I mean, honestly, goal honestly, line tech is like, celebrated inside the stadium though, because like VAR is kind of universally despised, but you know, goal line tech, when that comes up on the screen and the opposition hit the bar and it hits a line and bounces out and it says no goal, yeah. everyone, well, the home team or the, you know, the team usable enjoys that. It's funny. But VAR, no one likes it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, haven't been to. I've never been to a, a soccer game that used uh, VAR, but I've been to plenty of of American football games that use instant replay, and it sucks for the people in the crowd just sitting sitting around while uh, you know in the cold, probably while while people look at it. Dude, instant. Yeah, the problem is that the instant replay 
the 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 model for VAR cannot be American style instant replay. It had it is that is it's it is trash. American style instant replay is so bad. It takes forever and it slows any momentum and basically just exists as a way to like add more commercial time into the game. It's awful. And VAR cannot be that. Like that can't be the model. It has to be much more instantaneous. It has to be frankly uh, the I think ice hockey might have a better uh, version of this, but frankly, it can't be the center ref call. I think that the idea of the center referee going and looking at something is itself a problem. And it has to be that there's someone else watching the game who immediately sees something wrong and says, no, no, that call's wrong. You're reversing it. And the center ref just has to agree. That's the that's the only way that this I think this could possibly. I agree work. that process wise, that's the best process because it works quickly. This kind of like instant appeal type thing where somebody somebody is watching and they can just they just overrule the call. But uh, I think practically, there's just no like I just don't see anybody accepting that solution. <laughs> Nobody's like there's the argument's going to be that you need like there needs to be one match official who's like in the game has the context of the game is talking to the players like all these things that they'll cite is why the why the you know official on the field has to be the one with the final call and they'll just never accept this instant appeal thing yeah i know uh but that does lead us to some of the funniest parts of what we're going to discuss today which is uh so Evan, why don't you t- talk us through uh, Alexi well, yeah, Lala's so, talking so, about? So the VAR. thing is that we just actually—I don't know how long we just talked about VAR, but we actually just wasted a lot of time. And I'm sorry that we did waste a lot <laughs> True. of time. We we hate to see it when we waste time, but it turns out that friend of the show, uh, patron of the show, I would say, Alexi Lalas has actually solved this problem. Um, he he is. He oh, has so glad. Fixed so VAR. glad. Um, there can be no injustice, Alexi Lawless says, if you just follow the law. You just gotta, just gotta follow the law. Just, I guarantee you that has got people killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's such. So he put out a video where he went on this rant about how everyone who's angry at the at VAR for dealing with you know having this huge effect on the women's world cup with the, with the, with the PKs uh, are wrong because all you need to do is follow the law. It's, it's as simple as that. And you know, it's just the same as if you're mad that you got a speeding ticket. Um, Alexi lets us know. It's exactly it's, it's the same actually thing. Actually the same thing. Um, and so, you know, just like you need to follow the law, um, you know, it's important that you follow it in soccer um, and, and he, you know, it, it doesn't matter that the rule literally changed like, the week before um, it was explained to them. And so, you know, ignorance, the law is no excuse. I also, I fucking guarantee that if the, if VAR had gone against the USA, even one time in this entire cup, that he would not have had this, this rant the thing is that VAR consistently favored the, the U S um, because, you know, they are better. A lot of times like the, the referee will make a call to kind of tamp down the better team or whatever, but the U S never had a, an VAR moment that, that like reset their game. So if that had happened, I guarantee you, he never makes this rule, but there's this ramp, but instead because the U S always had this shit go in their favor. They, I saw it in the Spain game. Uh, he makes this horrible rant about it. And frankly, he, I mean, 
this is American coverage. So thank God. I mean, you know, James, you should be very happy that you didn't have to deal with this. But he was like a big part of the commentary oh, team um, talking about the matches and then covering them. And he even I, I don't I don't remember if he did color um, on any of the games, but it was truly awful. Everything out of his mouth is so bad and dumb. And it, what really fucking infuriates me about this whole thing is that I, I don't agree with him about this, but he's defending VAR, and now I want to be against <laughs> VAR because he's defending it, and that fucking sucks. I don't want that. Yeah, I mean, like, the, that's all his fault. Hate it. Like, the problem, so here's the biggest problem with his rant. So, it, it, besides the fact that we're playing into his hands because it was clearly designed to get engagement, and, you know, fuck him, it did. Um, you know, it's, it was, it's just horribly patronizing to, you know, to tell goalkeepers who are trying to adjust to this new situation like, oh, it's just a simple solution to your problem. You just got to, you know, follow the rule instead of not following the rule. Like, motherfucker, you think that they don't want to, you know, stay within whatever the bounds are? They're clearly trying to figure out what is the new enforcement norm. And they're not going to intentionally break that rule if they know they're going to get a penalty uh, retaken. <laughs> it's like they, they're going to get it. The other team is going to get another shot. Like they're not trying to break this. God damn. It's like so dumb. I fucking hate it. But the good news is that um, we have other people who made even dumber comments about this world cup. And I mean, frankly, the, the, the sexism was everywhere. So we're not even going to get into trying to like catalog all the different people who made, you know, the stupidest sexist tapes. Um, But we do have to talk about, I think everyone, I mean, you could not go on social media without hearing someone talk, you know, say something about how, how, you know, you know, something sexist about the world, the world cup. But so we're not going to catalog that. That's all dumb. These people are all wrong. The women's game actually kicks ass. We have to do though. We do have to talk about one thing, which is uh, two more, actually two more things. So we have to talk about Pierce Morgan. And I love that we're talking about Pierce Morgan because the last time I, Evan, I think we talked about Pierce Morgan. It was in the context of him, uh, who is as a big Arsenal fan going to a party, seeing um, one of the Arsenal, the Spanish Arsenal, Arsenal play, players talking to uh, Jeremy Corbyn in Spanish. Pierce Morgan comes up to them to talk to him uh, or no, that seeing talking to Jeremy Corbyn. Generally Pierce Morgan goes over to talk to him. They immediately switch to speaking Spanish. And then basically they tell him to fuck off. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> it was really funny. Pierce Morgan apparently got really angry about it and uh, then did this whole tweet shit about it and it was but basically it's just about him getting dunked on so we got to talk about pierce morgan uh in this world cup basically causing a huge stir in the united states when he went at um megan rapino who is sort of the hero of this team in our in, in the united states and what's amazing is that this wasn't like we did this is james we did this this is our fault the americans made this happen yeah i think at one point we were ready to execute him <laughs> like genuinely with the the phone hacking stuff I, I don't know but if you guys know but he was in charge of a paper that kind of manipulated images about the uh the british army um torturing uh you know prisoners of war um he led people who hacked into the phones of uh i don't know i don't need the exact specifics but it was involving a a a teenager who had been murdered and he was involved in the phone hacking of that and he was put before a panel and roundly battered by that panel. And um, I think treason is probably a word you could use. I mean, it was so bad. 
I, I, I followed the Levinson stuff from the United States. It just, it, it seemed like, I mean, we have a bad media culture in this country, but holy shit, is the British media way worse. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the good, the good um, news for Piers Morgan is there's always a way back, and that way back is American reality television. That's right. <laughs> Which has somehow, America's Got Talent has propelled him back into superstardom, and it's a place we can never take him down from, ever, no. Yeah. Yep. And also he managed to make this a whole political thing because um, he attacked uh, Rapino, who is a pretty outspoken person and kind of image of uh, this women's team, but also image of like this women's team as like an out and proud kind of uh, uh, image of queerness. And so like he, oh, he talked about Rapino like doing that, like doing what is frankly one of the most subdued celebrations i've ever seen in my life like she goes over to the crowd and like spreads so, her small arms out. side side like just little tangent the people being upset of like the tada celebration she did is the f- stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard in my entire life that might actually be the worst take it's like a more benign bad take than our other bad takes about the world cup but people were just looking to be mad like if that celebration made you angry i I frankly don't didn't understand it. I've seen so many celebrations. There were so and there's other stuff we're going to talk about later with with the celebrations, but this in particular was such a it was such a subdued celebration. It was like she scored a penalty then ran to the side and like put her arms out in like a tada motion. And Pierce Morgan of course posts his tweets where he's like this woman is so arrogant like blah 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 and everyone freaks out, gets angry at him because, you know, he's Looking, he just he wants that. He wants to get owned over and over and get attacked because it just makes keeps his fucking name. Oh, in the, is, I mean, look, is, we're talking he, about him is now. Is he English? Alexi Lawless is is Alexi Lawless American? I was just about to say that. God yeah. damn it! Yeah, Cole. God damn it! He's like from what we've d- spoke about Lawless and you know previous seasons of the podcast. <laughs> Piers Morgan's new, the nuclear level. The takes are always contrary. He will say, you know, the common sense arguments he makes, it's, it appeals to, you know, a general public, that kind of homogenous general public where he'll say, you know, when he's arguing about trans rights or some arguing against it for some reason, and he'll say, oh, I'll just be a, become an attack helicopter and I'll say I'm a thin attack helicopter. And no one, no, I don't care. You, you can be Piers, but that's not, that's not the argument. He's <laughs> no one's up. talking about that, Piers. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> It's you're right. I, this is. I mean, I want to ban both uh, us as a group from speaking about these two people again for a while. But we had to. We had to talk about this particular thing because, unfortunately, he it really did kind of dominate discussion in the United States about this for a while, and it brought like more scrutiny onto the uh, American women's team as like. Uh, "Quote unquote," you know, arrogant and shitty yeah, or and whatever. I mean, they and, were also uh, political football over here for a while and continue to be because you know be, because in part of Rapino's like you know she had the whole statement about you know not going to the White House or whatever, and then the the MAGA heads really picked that up and and yeah, they did, did not like that. that. And then they you know as they do with anything that can be a culture war, you know, culture war lightning rod the. You know, the Trump folks picked it up and really just fanned the flames. And Piers Morgan just played right into that. Yeah, really. And it was a really smart. Fuck, I hate it so much. I hate Piers Morgan so much, but it's undeniably a smart move to pick a fight with her specifically. Like, 
she is like the symbol of this team. She was the, I mean, she ended up winning the golden boot because even though, and and I don't think this is a super hot take and I've made it before. I'm not, I'm not sure she even was particularly good yeah, in this world cup, but like she won it because she took a lot, like all of the U S yeah. penalties basically. Harry uh, and, to a world cup golden boot. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think one of the things that came out of this World Cup was a uh, discussion of, I mean, and the the, the tweet and the post and, and that they kind of drove me to want to talk about this with you guys. With this guy who, um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, he posted something like, it was one of the journalists, right? Um, and he posted something like, the problem is that these American women are the most arrogant and, you know, unacceptable people uh in all of sports and their fans are utterly classless and the worst fans in all of sports. Um, and that's why we all are rooting against them or whatever. And it was just like, it's just so bad because imagine in a world where we have like Cristiano Ronaldo exists or Zlatan exists, <laughs> like, you know, like you're going to go after like these women and American fans generally as some sort of like, monolithic group of people who are, are particularly more arrogant than anyone else in this sport is crazy. Well, no, I thought plenty of people come off as arrogant and that's not necessarily like a criticism because may, no. maybe Rapino is arrogant, but it's not an unearned arrogance at all. Like she is the, a dominant women's footballer. She has deserved to do whatever she wants. But, um, you know, on the other hand, you know, you've got Phil Neville saying that, you know, taking the high ground against a team like Cameron and, that's an unearned arrogance. Right. <laughs> what? He hasn't done much well, to that. So talk us through a little bit of the Cameroon stuff because my, I mean, that was barely covered here. I watched that game and it did feel like there was a lot of, I mean, it was, it was great because it did feel like there was a lot of, uh, a lot of anger and, and, and passion in, in the match, which is good. I like that. I like it when te- teams and people like want to fight each other after a match. It, ma- it makes for fun. It's fun television, frankly. But the the way it was covered afterwards was not not great. There, there were extreme, extreme takes to the level where, you know, you feel like, is Twitter a good thing? <laughs> you know, because you've got a lot of people on the far right who are coming out of the, you know, some kind of discriminatory language against these African footballers who are at the highest level they've ever been and they're competing kind of for their future. And then you've got on the, you know, the far left, the takes where England are always bad and there's a, you know, a colonialist vibe to what Phil Neville's saying when really, what it really amounts to is there's an angry, silly man who is upset saying the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He was saying that he came to this World Cup to be successful, but help make women's football globally more visible, to put on a show that highlights how women's football is improving. But I sat through 90 minutes today and felt ashamed. I'm completely and utterly ashamed of the opposition and their behavior. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is, it's oh it's not God. that bad. This happens almost, it's so incredible how this happens across the scale of men's football globally, where teams yeah. kick off and protest. They think there's match fixing, they demand VAR, the referee's not in control. This stuff's not uncommon. Yeah. No, this is, a, this is like a relatively tame, like Mourinho after a game take. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, um, you know, the way this is taken by, I don't, I don't want to seem like, the centrist here 
But it is <laughs> both. There are two extreme sides of an argument, and it's very frustrating. Where you know the the way to distill it is, it's just an angry, silly man I mean, I, who yeah. really doesn't have the authority to say what. He's yeah, saying. I mean, like so. You know, I watched the game too. I watched it live, and I remember feeling like the team. You know, feeling that there was it, it was it was kind of petulant. A lot, you know, the like delaying the restart of the match, um, and I think that there was also like I'm I'm fine with with teams getting physical when they're when they're upset. I've you know really enjoyed like Tottenham just kicking the shit out of Chelsea when they you know were losing and were clearly not going to catch Leicester City for the for the title a few years ago. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um, on the other hand, like there were they there were some really violent um, like just you know, I, there was like spitting. There were some really violent tackles, stuff like that. So like I guess what I'm saying is I get why Phil Neville was upset at the way that his team was treated. And I think that it's a, it, it is important to remember the context that he made his statement is like, they're putting a mic in his face right after the end of this really heated game where like players of his were spat on. Um, he's not going to give the most measured take in that situation. And I think in that context, if the worst thing you say is they should be ashamed of how they, you know, how conducted themselves, you, you, that's not the worst thing that you might have said in that situation in that context. It could have been worse, frankly. It could have but been a little it, worse. It also, I mean, it also was, as I think correctly, kind of panned for being like, instead of being like, you know, they should be ashamed for like for the way that they played. They played violent. They were, you know, gro- like they were like you know, endangered my players and, you know, they, they, you know, were unsportsmanlike or whatever, any of the things you can say about it that are, that are frankly true. The problem is that he also was like, well, we're here to put on like a good face for the women's game worldwide. And like they, by doing this are, are just like destroying the game or, or, you know, embarrassing us as a, as a group. It's like, I mean, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Like this, if anything, this makes me like so, the game I think, more. <laughs> I think the interesting like, debate that came out of that was what duty players have to, like, I don't know exactly how to define it, but, you know, to the game or the growth of the game or the fans of the game, as opposed to, you know, their duty just to, like, play it. Um, so there were some people who take the very hard stance that they were very tired of hearing about um, you know, women being role models for young girls. And, you know, this was a take, this is a take that's in almost every advertisement for, um, or a theme of almost every advertisement for the women's world cup. Right. Is, you know, the, I think it was the big Nike ad, like, you know, had one of the U S stars walking, you know, walking with like a little girl and then she ran around the pitch with her or whatever. And it's the whole idea though, it's always marketed as like, you know, for the future of the girls game. <sighs> and so there was this debate about what, you know, what duty do they have to, you know, be a good role model, this whole thing that comes up in sports all the time. Um, and I think that that informed a lot of the reaction to Phil Neville's comments because he did say it in context of, you know, the, the context that the, um, the, it was the Senegalese team, right. I, that they had, um, you know, that they were letting down the game by, um, you know, by, by putting on a bad show, by being a bad role model, by being a bad example for the, like the next generation of players and people who are tired of that take or that, that framing of the women's game generally, I think that they reacted really strongly to that particular aspect of the comment. 
I also, I, I, I mean, it also led to just, and this is not just about film novel. This is just generally it, my my least favorite thing about um, being a, a person who who is working on being a fan of the women's game and getting into it is that for some reason the, this this particular sport triggers men to post unendingly about their own kids and like people take it as an opportunity to be like. I have a like a nine year old whatever daughter, and she plays soccer and blah blah blah. I'm like you're you're screwing her over. It's like I don't want to hear about your fucking shitty kids. Why don't you just analyze the game and talk about the game without talking about your stupid kids? If you think that the the kids like watching the game uh, are gonna like, I mean. It, that's not oh my god i just i had so there's so many like viral or semi-viral posts about some guy being like i used to like like this one player but i have a seven-year-old daughter who loves to play soccer and now she doesn't i don't like her anymore it's like fuck man i don't care about your like your shitty kids shut up <laughs> it's like they expect other people to be the role models for their their children i guess like just be good parents they can't rip their their child away from Fortnite, so megan rapino has to <laughs> it's, it's, it's so true though it's like my kid i hate my kid he spends too much on uh, time online like he he's playing he's playing Fortnite and kind of calling all these other kids the m-word but the problem is that he you know he's, he's watching these, these women fight each other and like that's what's going on not my own shitty parenting yeah pretty much it's like fucking shut up i can't <laughs> listen to that bullshit <laughs> I hate it so much. Um, I'm going to save the discussion of the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit um, for another episode because I, w- I really want to get into two of the funnier things that have been happening. And I think we have to talk about um, – two. Right, so I want to talk about Neymar. Um, Neymar is literally – and I, as far as I can tell, literally trying to flee PSG. Uh, and it's – as far as and my belief, and I think we mentioned this earlier, Evan, but like it's my belief that he's doing this because of all all of the different crimes that he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's at least at least two right now, right? Which is the he already has been found to have violated Spanish tax law and has to pay like back taxes, and like we know from various yeah. other you know players, this can come with suspended jail sentences, and you know it can get nasty. Uh, but like significantly more importantly is like another former La Liga great uh, been accused of rape in Brazil. Uh, and there's, a, as far as I'm aware, a criminal inquiry going on. I don't know if it, he's been charged or not. I'm, I haven't followed closely enough the like the legal particulars, um, but it's certainly a thing. And it's, you know, it just rings reminiscent of everything going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think that, you know, like you and I have talked about before, Ronaldo has benefited greatly by having a corrupt, shitty ass club that is willing to go to the mat in every way possible to protect him from any kind of accountability or even, you know, even having to you know answer for himself in the most minor way up to and including canceling a u.s tour because if they landed in the united states cristiano ronaldo would be immediately arrested <laughs> they can't and come Neymar, to the united Neymar states has to be looking around and, and saying i don't know if psg is gonna do that for me who but who, who might right and like Right. And that's the thing you so this is like my I think this is our big insight was that 
PSG is unironically a mess, and it's hilarious. And honestly, I love to see it. It was great. PSG is falling apart. Um, their ownership, the Qatari government, is considering backing out, um, or at least like being much less involved. Uh, and I think if you're Neymar and you're and you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, so yes, I have like this sovereign nation right that is on my side, sort of, but. If push comes to shove, this sovereign nation, which bought this team and is doing all this stuff as a way of like making people think that they're not like using slaves to build their World Cup stadiums or whatever, or they want like the Saudis to stop embargoing them. Like if they start to think that, oh, maybe actually this is making us look bad, they will happily feed Neymar to the wolves like immediately. It wouldn't even take. It was like the most obvious decision ever would be to like just back away from him. But if he goes to like an institutional team where they actually care about, you know, the team itself and not about like trying to make some sort of nebulous soft power gains around in the world stage. Well, then in that team, perhaps, you know, they're going to stick by their guy the way that Juve have done with Cristiano Ronaldo and the way that probably Madrid would have done if they hadn't sold him to Juve. Although I'm pretty sure that Madrid were <laughs> like didn't really know about what was going on, but saw the, the writing on the wall with him. And, and that's one of the reasons that they got out of that business so quickly. Uh, <laughs> but if you're Neymar and you're looking around and you're saying, Oh, look, Barcelona will take me back. I mean, I think Barcelona is much more likely to go to the mat for Neymar than, uh, than PSG less is. likely to kind of stumble upon a reason to throw him, throw him, you know, under the bus of his own making. You know, you, you can imagine PSG, you know, things getting too hairy and them looking at me, you know, I think for our purposes, Mbappe is probably the better face of the franchise here. Um, and, and then just offloading, like the only thing right now, keeping them from, you, you know, just distancing themselves harder anyway, is just the financial investment in Neymar. But eventually the, the downsides could overtake that. Um, but the same incentives just don't exist for, for a club like Barcelona that, you know, has its own independent, um, prestige that is so substantial that Neymar can't possibly drag it down in in a meaningful way and also doesn't have the, you know, the non-footballing motive behind the weird diplomatic project that is PSG. (laughs) It's like sports washing, isn't it? But now the agent of the sports washing is probably the worst possible front for it. <laughs> That's the hundred percent. It's exactly that. right. Yeah, and also, um, of course, there's the other various other crimes that are involving Qatar and um, PSG and and whatnot. The like the uh, bribery stuff that has prevented Set Blotter from coming to the United States. <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and that investigation, which recently led to the arrest arrest of Michel Platini, um, I, in I Paris, hope, uh, I hope and it just feels like lives long enough for the twenty twenty six World Cup, just so that he can't attend because he would get arrested. <laughs> just right. so he that has he to stay go. in Luxembourg or something and watch it from there. He's at least got to stay uh, alive long enough to see that twenty twenty two World Cup be given to like Australia or something. Rule. That would rule, also. Yeah, I just basically, I just just want to see Sepp <laughs> like, get owned. <laughs> yeah, it, 
he deserves it more than anyone else. I mean, so Neymar is looking around. He's seeing all of these things going down, all of these different crimes. He is implicated. His dad is definitely implicated in some of this. I'm not sure to what extent his dad is like directly responsible for some of the crimes like involving him and also likely they're also likely crimes. And I'm just, this is entirely speculative, but I would bet almost anything that there are additional crimes that we don't know about that are financial nature that his dad is engaging. So like I've had to do some work with like tax, international tax and money laundering regulations. And like, I just, I, you know, this is obviously speculation, but it's informed speculation. And when you have these kind of shady sponsorship deals and this much money moving around that, you know, it's coming from Qatar, but it can't look like it's coming from Qatar for financial fair play reasons. Like I would be shocked if there's not, you know, ways that they've structured these transactions that violate money laundering rules that violate tax uh, laws uh, international, just international financial controls, just all kinds of stuff that comes into play when you want to move a lot of money around internationally and that there's just no way, especially no fucking way that they followed all of these rules. Especially with someone as shady as Neymar's dad, that dude is crazy. He's like the most shady person I've ever seen. Like I've ever encountered in sports. Like he, like he is so incredibly like mobbed up and terrifying but also like <laughs> too stupid like he doesn't get what's going on i don't think <laughs> it's like uh, he, it's funny that because you know look at the crimes that these powerful footballers are accused or alleged that they've done like neymar and ronaldo and they have the power that and even messi and they have the power of being a footballer and they never go to jail until the career is done they never ever this doesn't happen yeah Neymar's dad isn't a footballer. <laughs> exactly. Like he doesn't have the protection. He can go to jail, man. You gotta flee. Dude, name, gotta Neymar's dad is what Lavar Ball like. That's his dream. That's what Lavar Ball wants to be. And I like it even more because he never will be. <laughs> no, he, his he sons aren't because, actually that good at basketball. Uh, but. The, yeah, he's only got one good son, and he's only like okay. <laughs> also. <laughs> also, like he's he wishes he could be Levar Ball, but the networks don't put him on TV. Like he doesn't go on TV. Like we in the United States, we just we're just like, all right, go oh, cool. We're gonna do a segment with. We're just gonna talk to Levar Ball. He's gonna say something crazy. But Neymar's dad, like he'll just like try to say something, and then no one will cover it. Like he tried to comment on Neymar's status at PSG, and people were like, I don't care. I don't care what you have to say. Like you are, I mean, it's so clear that you were very involved in the way that Neymar got to PSG in the first place, which is likely involving a lot of crimes. But you saying, oh, he doesn't disrespect I, PSG I, is meaningless. <laughs> so he can't even I get the LeVar Ball status. More than almost anything else in football, like, p- you know, players, parents, and, and this like little entourage, you know, cliquey entourages, like, you know, managing their careers. And it just, this happened with Adrian Rabio where like his mom, I guess is his manager. And she like forced his way out of PSG and into (laughs) Juventus. And I just, I just hate every instance of like having to read about some player's (laughs) shitty uncle who is his manager. (laughs) It's so, it's so true though. (laughs) Uh, And then in the last the last hilarious thing that's going on right now is um, there's so I'm actually a little behind, I think on this saga, but Antoine Griezmann is now practicing with Barcelona and, and like wearing their clothes and stuff. But um, there was never re- an agreement that was reached between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid for the payment of his release clause. Um, 
to the and th- this is such an issue <laughs> that uh, 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 Atletico was actually suing Barcelona and Antoine Griezmann in his personal capacity. <laughs> uh, so the way release clauses work, and I I, I may be wrong, but the, my understanding is the way release clauses work is that they require an upfront payment. They require a pay, an actual payment in order to uh, void the that's, contract. I, that's my understanding too. But if you, my like, understanding is that sometimes t- teams will like negotiate, you know, different terms. Like if it's clear I'm going to pay your fifty million dollar release clause, you know, maybe we'll negotiate, you know, a slightly lesser fee or slightly higher fee that I get to pay over time. Um, as opposed to something I have to pay up front. But I think you're right that to actually you know, right. trigger it against the team's will, which is the whole point of the release clause, is if they don't want to sell, you can trigger it. I think you do have to, you have to show up with the big, you know, with, you have to back the, the money truck up and dump it all out. <laughs> and, dump it. and dump it into their exactly. dump it into their fucking bank account like Neymar's, like PSG did to get Neymar. Like they paid it all up front. And Barcelona has apparently refused to do that and said, basically, we're going to pay an installation payment payments, but eventually you're going to get the full release clause. But that's just not how it works. And I mean, legally speaking, if that's true and nothing has been resolved, Antoine Griezmann really should not be a Barcelona player right now. And Atletico is correct to sue them. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll... I couldn't happen to be hilarious, to be honest. <laughs> like Griezmann's weird because he's he's a very good footballer, but he's not kind of on that level to be on everyone's radar all the time. You know, yeah. like, and it's very weird when I remember the things he's done, like the documentary thing about him staying at Atletico Madrid. Was that last yeah. season? So it was like last year. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so self-involved and the, the stuff he does and the stuff he gets himself involved to. And you, you think you are, a re- he's really good. Like he's a quality footballer, but you have to be almost on the level of the greatest of all time to get away with the stuff that he's, he pulls on a constant basis. Yeah. Like the one, well, then there's like, Oh, there's a costume party. So I'm going to dress up and fucking blackface and go as a Harlem Globetrotter and that'll be fine. And like, no, you can it, tell it won't register like the meaning of it. You can tell he genuinely thought he was doing it as a respectful thing because he's thick and he's, you know, it's the, the, he's not LeBron James, but he can't, <laughs> he can't do the things he's done. He's, he did the decision video to, oh, to, to decide that. he's going to stay. And yeah, then he yeah, left I the next year. That. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's, it's quote unquote left because, I really want the situation to emerge where he's dragged back. <laughs> It'd be so funny, right? I mean, I, it, the, the, unfortunately, the only way that this gets resolved, I think, is that but Barcelona are literally forced to give them all the money. There's, plus a, a, there's a background more. thing but, here, which is like a background story of speculation of Barca having some like liquidity problems, like not oh, having yeah, cash. Yeah, there's that. Literally not having the cash. Also, there's a incredible problem with uh, the entire, basically the entire thing where they basically. So, Wayfa has these right has these rules against tapping players up, but like it, it seems to me very clear that essentially Barcelona were like, here, we're going to give you a contract, et cetera, et cetera, way before any of this even happened, and like they probably violated whatever those rules are. Also, now we're in this situation where maybe they can't even pay. Maybe the only remedy is literally for uh, the 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 league or the court. How funny would that even be? The courts to come in and be like Antoine Griezmann, you're playing. You do not 
have a contract with Barcelona. You have a contract with Atletico Madrid. So either they can pay to avoid the contract, which is this much money, or you can come back and, and fucking uh, play for Atletico Madrid and uh, honor I mean, your they contract. They also just negotiate a higher fee in installments, like agree on 150 million euros over whatever amount of time. The thing is whether or not there's too much bad blood involved for that to get done anymore. Like that's the obvious thing here to me is just to, you know, Barcelona throws an extra 30 million at Atletico. Atletico takes it because they've obviously already lost this player. And so they should just get as much money as they can. Yeah. That's less messy. Yeah, that's right. But maybe it would not be as fun. And like, maybe they just hate each other enough. I mean, how great would that be? I would love it. I'd love it. They just they litigate this like extensively. They fight. They refuse to settle. And then Griezmann is like ultimately dragged back to to Madrid. But then he won't play or something. It just it'd be great. I mean, it'd be great drama. I would I would watch it. I'd watch a reality show for thirty. Like frankly, I also James. Like honestly, you're right that he's taught like all the shit that he does. It's crazy, and he shouldn't get away with it. All, all that being said, I would watch a, a show about this dude's daily life. I think he is like I am convinced that he is just a huge, like <laughs> full on idiot. Like I don't think there's any other explanation for that. And like watching like some idiot try to go about his daily life and do and just do stuff is like, well, I would I don't know why it would be a problem for me to like you know park in this in this handicapped spot and like. You know why did I tow, t- tow my car? I don't understand. Like he was just trying to go into the to the store to buy some breakfast or whatever, and like that's the reality. Do we TV know show. he has like a crazy Aunt Genevieve who's his uh, like who's his manager? Are we aware? We're we know he has an like a weird entourage because he showed them to us in his I the decision I video. That. We have to rewatch that before we can make any more comments about this, I think. It's still incredibly, incredibly upsetting how much kind of criticism Paul Pogba gets off the field. And I guess that's due to his status as a player and that everyone knows him and he's constantly in, you know, that footballing frame of mind. Whereas because Griezmann plays in La Liga, he's, you know, probably not constantly watched by by well, most I can, people. I can think I of guess. another reason so, why Paul Pogba might get a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna. I was gonna get onto that, and uh, like Paul Pogba hasn't, to my knowledge, made a fully fledged feature <laughs> documentary about a non-decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's even funnier than the, the the decision video that LeBron released because. I mean, LeBron did this whole special, right? Like he like had a live TV and he was like, I'm going to donate the money because that'll make people less angry at me when I, <laughs> I choose to like leave Cleveland or whatever. Uh, but Griezmann just like had a very high produced video <laughs> about himself that was like, that's it. That's all we're doing. And by the way, there is no decision. I'm just going to continue the same as I always have been. Cool. Good job. <laughs> it's dumb. Oh my God. It's we, great. We love, love it. to see it. Uh, we love to see it, and we love to be back. Love uh, LFF. We're back. Um, this uh, episode one of season two, and James, great having you back as a co-host. Evan, great talking to you, um, and uh, we have a ton more to talk about. So I'll talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride. Till
bushes in the back, or stock is attached. Head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your horse. I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me Yeah. 